0: Listening to the weekly podcast presented by the Lighthouse Midlothian. For more information, please visit us at www.dfwlighthouse.org. Thank you, and God bless. Honestly, I think we could just go home after that. I mean, what what else does the Lord need to say to us? God works miracles. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our series on some assembly required. Um, Just to recap a little bit, Um, we talked last week um, about the definition of fellowship. Um, We talked about how it was all these different things. Um, And then we had kind of a, a joint definition. We can get that joint definition up here. Um, And basically, it's a community of people, groups, or entities, wherewith they share a common good. It's more than a meeting. It is an intimate joining of souls, sharing life together. In other words, it's not just attending church. It's being the church. Amen? We can come on a Sunday morning and still miss it. We can keep doing the Christian thing and going through the motions and still miss it. God wants to build his church. All right, then we talked about the three fellowships of God. We talked about his word, how he speaks. Um, We talked about how his spirit breathes life into that word, and then how we need to join together in the assembly or fellowship so that we can stay in the truth of God. And it's cyclical because once we get into that assembly, once we get into that fellowship, it brings us back into the word. So it's just this continuous cycle of growth of which we're, we're joining together with God. Amen. Then we talked about the reasons why we might neglect fellowship. Um, and here are the four reasons, just to, just to recap. Um, we had disappointment where we feel grief. Um, dismissal, where we feel rejected. Distraction, where we just feel busy. And deception, where we feel lost. So today, we're going to continue, and we're going to be talking about the IKEA model. All right? We're, we're kind of doing this whole IKEA object lesson. All right? And I just want to preface it with this. We are God's church. Everybody say, we are God's church. We are God's church. Say it real loud and proud. We are God's church. Amen, and He is building us into a strong habitation for His glory to dwell. Let me say that again: He is building us into a strong habitation for His glory to dwell, and the schemes of hell shall not prevail against it. So, last week I brought this box and it was in shambles because we were talking about just having you know the different pieces. And today, basically, we're going to be talking about IKEA as an acronym, all right? So, all the different letters of IKEA are going to um, basically represent different things. I is for inclusion, K is for kindness, E is for encouragement, and then the A is for accountability. We're going to go into details about why these things are important pieces to build the strong habitation for God's glory to dwell in. Because when we have these pieces, it is a strong, strong thing for God to literally be involved in, literally put himself into. And when we don't have these pieces, we're kind of like a three-legged dog just hopping around and we're like, oh, poor, poor child, bless his heart, you know? You know? <laughs> So let's get right into it, inclusion, all right? So this, um, we're going to have a focus verse for each of these. Um, Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. All are one. You know, we talked about how you know, we can be a piece or we can be a part of the whole. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Our citizenship is literally in heaven. We may come from different backgrounds. We may come from different neighborhoods. All right, some of you don't want to go to the neighborhood that I grew up in. All right, you Texas people, you're, I grew up in like inner city, Southern California. So you come to my neighborhood, you'd be like, yeah, I ain't, I ain't staying here. All right, all right, you'd be waking up by gunshots and police sirens literally like every 10 minutes. right, we may come from different ethnicities, different philosophies, but if Jesus is the Lord of our life, all of those are okay because we are all one in Christ. Oneness is not the same, is not sameness. Those are not synonymous words. Oneness is not sameness. Jews and Greeks, would you say that they are different? There's differences between Jews and Greeks. Some major philosophical differences. Male and female, would you say those are just maybe a little bit different? <laughs> all right, We live in a culture that basically is saying that it's all just the same. It's all, you know, just based on your own definition. But there's clear differences. All right, Japanese and Nigerian. All right, I married a wonderful Japanese bride and she is amazing. She's very Japanese until she is very Texan, all right? If you know Christina, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Then I have my Nigerian brothers and sisters, and they're not Japanese, but they're still awesome, and Christina doesn't have to give up her Japanese-ness, and my Nigerian friends don't have to give up their Nigerian-ness, all right? We're all one in Christ, inner city folk and rural folk. We may not understand each other a whole lot. I may not understand, you know, country music and barn raising. I don't understand that kind of stuff, but I I respect those of you that do. Awesome. There's differences between the young and the young at heart. All right. And our culture wants to divide that. You know, okay, Boomer. Or all the complaining about those flaky millennials. Well, the reality is we all have good differences that, are all, that can be very positive in the right context. And we need to trust that God is big enough in our lives to be a positive influence without being sidelined by the negative ones. All right? So how do we live in a world without being part of it? Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we can embrace the differences, but still have oneness in Christ. All right, how do we do that as Christians? Well, let me tell you two stories. going we'll to call this a tale of two Davids. Some of you may remember in 1993, a really disturbed individual by the name of David Koresh. Anybody remember David Koresh and the Branch Davidians? Well, he had a very tumultuous childhood and then later on as a teenager, he decided that he was going to start going to church and get his life together. And so what ended up happening, he was part of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination and he, him and the pastor basically became at odds when he wanted to do something. The pastor was just like, no, this is not, this is not right, it's immoral. So he decided he was just gonna go off and do his own thing, reject authority, and then kind of the rest is history. Started the Branch Davidians, well, joined the Branch Davidians, and then kind of made his own subsect of the Branch Davidians, and which ended in a lot of lives lost on April 19th, 1993, when Waco was sieged by the government. That led to Timothy McVeigh, you guys remember Oklahoma City? he actually bombed Oklahoma City as retaliation for what the government did in Waco. So based on David Koresh's not willing to be a part of the overall church experience and true fellowship with Christ, it led to not just his direct influence on people, but his indirect influence on people and even more lives lost. Let's move forward to a different David. His name is David Brainerd. Anybody know that name? He was, he was almost the son of, son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards. Lived in the early 1700s, and he was known as a missionary to the Native Americans in New Jersey. Um, they called them the Delaware Indians, but, but they were in New Jersey. And he was a very sick person from the time that he was a young adult. And, but he had this call on his life, and he actually attended Yale Um, and got expelled from Yale because he had like a private conversation where he basically said about one of the leaders at Yale, that dude has about as much grace as a chair. And so because of that private conversation, the leader of of Yale, he basically got um, involved in this. And then he's just like, well, if you don't publicly confess and repent, we're going to expel you. And he's just like, I'm not going to take back what I said because it's true, you have a grace of a chair. So... Um, He ended up getting expelled from the school and basically full-time became completely committed to sharing the gospel with the Native Americans. And the interesting thing about David Brainerd was he struggled with severe sickness. He died at the age of 29 with tuberculosis and struggled with that sickness for 10 years. But he said, I don't care if I'm sick. I'm going to do the will of God. All right? He was a young man who recently got expelled from college. He didn't sit back and say, poor me, poor me, poor me. He said, I'm still going to do the will of God. He was tired. Most of the Native Americans, they rejected his message outright. And despite their insistence on not accepting the gospel, he says, I am still going to do the will of God. And what ended up happening was after years of ministering, Native Americans started repenting of some of their pagan rituals and turning to the Lord because he refused to give in to his flesh. He refused to say, you know what, I'm a Christian, so that means I just got to live my comfortable life and do my comfortable thing. He decided that he was confident in his relationship with the Lord enough to say, "My my bubble doesn't need to burst. I'm going to give my bubble away and expand the bubble. Kresh let his own sect of Branch Davidians, basically he led them in such a way that if you didn't conform to his ways, that you you couldn't be a part of their group. Husbands had to give up their wives and daughters. Women had to give up their rights. David Brainerd served served in such a way that he was submitted to leadership in his life. He submitted. And he had the blessing of different people in his life to go out. And he wasn't afraid of outside influences. He wasn't afraid. He was just like, you know what? I love God and am confident in my relationship enough to I can sit amongst a pagan ritual happening, because he did. He sat amongst their pagan rituals and then once they were done, he preached the gospel. <laughs> he wasn't in this situation where, like, well, I can't go there because I'm going to be corrupted or tainted. Quresh separated himself from the world and fell into deception. He thought his ideas were right, his ways were right, and he fell into great error and cost many lives. Brainerd trusted God's work in him, and he went out into the world and let God use him. He was not afraid, and at the same time, he allowed God's life to move through him. He let people challenge him to help him grow, and many lives were saved. There's two opposing philosophies here. And it even happens in the church. And I admit these are extreme examples. You have on one end where you have a guy that started going to church and, and fell in error because he refused to listen to anybody. Let me just say, if you're in a place where you refuse to let people speak into your life, you're in a bad place. Amen. You are in a bad place. All right, Brainerd decided, you know what? I don't have to be afraid of outside influences. And so he went out and he burst the Native American's bubble with the truth of the gospel. What if Brainerd was afraid of the Native Americans polluting his faith? What if he was afraid? What if you let's put it in modern context. What if he was afraid of going to Deep Ellum? What if he was just afraid? He was just like, you know what? Those people are the weirdos. Those people do weird stuff. All right, who knows what would have happened? What if he quietly condemned them with his self-righteousness and let them die in their sins? Ouch. I was thinking about that the other day. I was just like, man, how many times have I not done something the Lord asked me to? Because I was just like, oh, well, they're like doing their own thing. I'm just going to do my own thing. And, you know, I really just don't care what happens to them. What if he gave up the first time they rejected him? All right? If, if he, let me put this to you in the context of marriage. Raise your hand if you're married in here. All right? Let me put this in, your, in context, so you'll understand. All right? Has there ever been a time where your spouse has done something that rejected you? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> 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 Ooh, love family. Well, the thing, the thing about that is, though, when you're married, you realize that you're in a covenant, and so you, you tolerate a lot more because you're like, this is what God has put together. Unless it's under extreme circumstances, I'm going to learn to forgive them and try to move forward. Now, there are extreme circumstances where couples can't, but in the sense of David Brainerd, like with the will of God, that's how he saw it. He was married to the will of God. And the Native Americans rejected him and rejected him and rejected him and rejected him and rejected him. And And he could have very easily been like, well, they rejected me this many times, so obviously this isn't the will of God. Don't let suffering or hardship be your plumb line to determine what's the will of God. Because God may ask you to do some hard stuff. God asked me to forgive my parents. That was incredibly hard for me. All right? So David Brainerd went forth and he said, you know what? I'm going to share the gospel. And he realized diversity was not about we have to be the same. He didn't tell the Native Americans they had to stop being Native American. But what he did say is when you accept the truth of the gospel, there are certain things in your life that will change. All right? It's about accepting our differences as people while uniting under one common banner, which is the name of Christ. And we should show the world we are different by our love rather than shunning. It's really easy to shun. It's really easy to say, well, they're not not important to me right now. I don't care what that person is doing. I got to focus on me and mine and whatever I'm doing. But whatever the will of God is for your life, if the Lord's leading you in direction, you're like, well, that's too hard. And you're like, well, God God will give you the grace to do it. First time we went to Mexico here, I thought, I was just like, I can't do this. Like, we're moving, and I got this crazy job where I'm working 100 hours a week. Like, first time I we went to Mexico, I had every excuse in the world, this is too hard for me right now. And then God used Mr. R.J. White, who at the time was probably 9 or 10 years old, and out of nowhere, how this was like, Chris, I think the Lord's telling you to go to Mexico. And he had no idea. <laughs> I was just like, really? You, you think he's telling me to go to Mexico? And I had been wrestling for it with a couple weeks, and the Lord was just like, go to Mexico. I was like, well, I can't do it because of this and this and this. And then God used a 9 or 10-year-old to kind of slap me upside the head and be like, do it. And I was so blessed that I did. And I had the grace to, to do all the things I needed to do and still go to Mexico. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Canceling people or organizations because of disagreement is the way that the world handles conflict. Not Christians. We should show a better example. Let's let's stop showing everybody what we are against and start showing them what we're for. I am for life. Period. I'm for life. Anything that breathes the most amount of life, I'm for that. I'm for love. I am for truth. And most importantly, I am for God. I do not have to preach until I'm blue in the face about what I'm against. I just simply show what I'm for. And that has been a far more effective strategy for me in terms of influencing other people with God. And some people will accept it. Some people will accept what you have and others won't. But if we don't try to engage at all, no one will accept it. We must let people into our world and enter into the world of others. We should choose wisely who we allow into our lives. I accept that. But always let God permission to burst the bubble that's in us, that's around us. We shouldn't be afraid to let God burst our bubbles. Our bubbles are there for God to burst. I've reached a point in my life where I'm like, God, whatever you want to do. And I'm not going to get all bent out of shape because God does it a different way than I got planned. All right, Pastor Dan? (laughs) Let God burst our bubbles. All right, getting different kinds of people into our bubble can be a really good thing. All right, it keeps us from becoming stagnant and judgmental. We are in danger of forming a belief system outside of Christ when we do not let opposing viewpoints challenge our faith. Like, I listen to people I disagree with. There's a, there's a preacher, my wife gets on to me all the time, there's a preacher um, that comes on, the, on the, class, the classical radio station about 8.30 every Sunday morning. And most things I disagree with, disagree with what the guy is saying. She's like, why do you always listen to them? I was like, because I want to know how to have an answer whenever I meet this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how to love them. Parents, our goal is not to protect our kids from all the evils of the world. Let me just say that. Our goal as parents is to prepare our children to live in the world. If your parenting is fear-based, because you're like, I don't want the world to corrupt my children, you are not, you're missing a big portion of your parenting. Because otherwise, you're gonna have a 40-year-old son playing video games in your basement. At least if you're outside of Texas, you have basements. (laughs) We live in the world, we are not of it. Inclusion. Be wise but be necessary and intentional about it. So moving on, kindness. RK and Ikea. All right, Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. All right, treating with people with generosity, gentleness, gratitude, grace, and goodness is Christianity 101. All right, let's put that slide up there. It's a... All right, kindness is a 5G network. All right, generosity, gentleness, gratitude, grace, and goodness. In other words, let's get back to kindergarten theology here, people. Treat others the way you want to be treated. All right? If you can remember that, you remember nothing else, but remember that. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You're in good shape. All right, Romans 2.4. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. All right? Um, I didn't put that verse up because I just want to get that honed into The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance, especially the kindness shown to us through the body of Christ. So generosity, give willingly of your time, of your talents, of your treasures. All right? I, became, I used to be very stingy because I was afraid of like not having enough. And so I was just like very stingy with my time, very stingy with my resources, And then then I had this, like, epiphany moment at some point where I was just like, you know what? God is always going to give, so I'm going to learn to give, and I've always been blessed by it. I don't give to be blessed, but it's just this reciprocation that happens where the Lord's just like, great, I can trust you with this, and you you did what what I wanted you to do, and now I can give you more. All right, be gentle. You never know what the person is going through who you're dealing with. You never know. And so you may be in a situation where someone may be acting irrationally over a really small thing, but you may not know the background of what led to that point, all right? They may be dealing with really stressful things at home, really stressful things at work, and that little small thing was just a tipping point. So be gentle as much as you can. I promise you, being gentle is not a bad thing, all right? I, I used to be a very harsh person, all right? And I actually repented of my harshness when people were gentle with me. Like, I was just like, that's, that's different. I was always used to like, everybody just yelling at each other and like fighting for what they wanted. And then, and then I got in this crazy group of people that call themselves Christians who were gentle with me and, and gracious with me. And I was just like, man, like, that led me to repent and change my mind about some things in my life. And so I, I literally went from thinking that I had to fight for my own to realize, you know what? God's going to take care of me. And that came from gentleness, all right? Thankfulness, gratitude. It dismantles our selfishness, and it does a second thing that we often don't think about. It protects the giver from a hard heart. So think about the times you give a very extravagant gift to somebody and they just kind of dismiss it. And they're like, they just kind of you know, toss it aside and, or they just like kind of live their own lives. They never say thank you. They never like show their appreciation in any way whatsoever. And that can develop into a hard heart. where like, well, I'm not gonna give anymore. So when we're thankful, it, it keeps us from being Selfish. Remember I told you about my disappointment of us not being um, pregnant for all those years? The thing that helped me overcome was being thankful for what I had rather than focusing on what I hadn't. Because right. right. when I really th- focused on God, I actually have a lot of things that you've given me. Like, I can focus on this one thing that's still a point of contention, or I can focus on all this plethora of stuff that you've blessed me with. Yeah. Amazing church family, amazing relationships, amazing relationships. Nice home, food on the table. And then when I give, I don't expect thank you, but I will say that it, that it really does my heart happy. And it makes me wanna give more. Like I, 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 I tell um, some of the people who are under me, it's like, you know, I'm gonna keep giving because that's just my, my personality now because I just became this crazy Jesus giver. It's like, yeah, have whatever you want. But the more they say thank you, I'm just like yeah, you're appreciated. I'm going to give you more, and more and more and more. Goodness, all right. The this is a little bit hard to define in terms of the Greek because it has many different definitions. But the one that I found that's most closely related to the fruit of the spirit of goodness is having an excellent character. It's honesty, honor, and humility when we put those into our lives into our practices of growing the church, what happens is like our interpersonal relationships actually thrive. If I am a person who is honest, then I become trustworthy and it builds a better relationship. If I'm showing honor to somebody, it's gonna put a better relationship. All right, if I dishonored Mr. Tony over here, all right, he wouldn't be keen on being a close friend of mine. So I wanna keep honoring him and showing him that I care about him. And humility and saying, you know what? I know this is is hard to say sometimes, but I might be wrong. (laughs) If you can accept that there is at least a minute possibility that you may be wrong about your opinion and you don't have to have the need to be right all the time, it develops much better relationships. Much better relationships. Like, I'm showing kindness when I choose not to gossip. When I start gossiping about people, I'm being unkind. Some people be like, hey, Chris, I'm gonna tell you a secret, but don't tell anybody. I'm just like, why would I tell anybody? <laughs> like, it's not my story to tell. Let people tell their own stories. At CR, there's a very strict confidentiality policy, and I love that. Let people tell their own story. You don't have to tell other people's stories for them. All right, the third is encouragement. All right, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing, First Thessalonians 5, 11. Supporting each other is an important part of community. All right, I need confidence and courage, and sometimes I need others to give that to me all right, it's like a punch in the heart. All right, and I know that's kind of a dramatic example. Right? I'm thinking of like a defibrillator where you, know, you feel like your heart is just weak and you need a kind of a jolt to your body. It's like a punch to the heart that gives grace to move forward in the plans and purposes of God. All right, when I am weak, I am strong because God's grace um, and, and his support is manifested through the people around me. Alright, when someone is on my heart to encourage, I try my best to follow that leading. I'll make a phone call, I'll set up a meeting, send a quick text. Alright, I may be able, even in that moment, to prevent a brother or sister from stumbling. Alright, you have no idea what your word of encouragement might do in that moment. So follow the Lord's leading. And when you have me on your hearts, don't be afraid to reach out to me. I'm prone to falling like anybody else. And maybe your quick word of encouragement would be like, you know, for me, it would be like, hey, keep going, Chris. All right, let me give you a quick example. A mentor recently sent me a message um, just earlier this week. Telling, and the message was, you're a good man. Very simple message. All it said was, you're a good man. And that was huge to me, because sometimes I struggle with whether I'm a good man or not. You ever feel, you ever feel like, you know, maybe I'm a failure or maybe I'm just not cut out for this or feeling insignificant or insecure. Just that quick little text, you're a good man, was huge for me. And it it, it gave me the the courage to keep fighting the good fight of faith with just a few simple words. Some of you, your love language is words of affirmation. So when someone gives you a encouraging word, they're literally filling up the gas in your love tank. All right? And this isn't like, Encouragement isn't like, hey, your hair is really pretty, all right? I recently got a haircut. And you can say to me, Chris, your hair looks so pretty. And it's going to stroke my ego and be like, thank you. But encouragement is more than a compliment. Compliments are nice, but encouragement is more. It's giving us the courage and strength for the battle. All right, when someone says you are loved, you are cherished, God has not forgotten you. All right, these are examples of the truth of God's word literally putting courage into each other. Encouragement is putting courage into another person. The last in our, in our acrostic here is accountability. Accountability. Proverbs 12:15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice. Let me say this by saying there is truth and then there are things that are true. You are hearing me. There's truth, then there's things that are true. It's true that covid exists and can cause a lot of damage. But the truth is that Jesus is my healer and has the power to destroy COVID. Are you hearing me? There There are true things that happen. But then we have to remind that true thing what the truth is. All right? It is true that inflation rates are high right now. And some of us may be concerned about that. That is a true thing that is happening. But the truth is that God is my provision and he will take care of me. So even if gas prices double, I'm not going to get up in a tizzy because if gas prices double, so will the provision of the Lord. All right. We need to hold each other to the truth of the word, the truth of the Lord. Because a lot of times we we get stuck in our feelings about our situation. A few years back, Dr. Mackey talked about like when your hand is hurt, all your attention goes to that. And sometimes we just need people in our lives to hold us accountable and say, hey, let's take the attention off of that and get to the truth of the Lord, which is God can heal a hand. All right, if I come to you and inform you that you're wrong, or showing you that there's a better way to go, I am not being your enemy. Good. All right, the people that, I, I gauge some of this of like, the people that truly love me, will say, Chris, let's talk. And I'm not worried about that. That's it. I'm not worried about those times when people might be like, hey, Chris, we need to talk. I mean, it's like, oh great, an opportunity for growth. Yeah. I'm not worried about, condemnation anymore i'm not worried about those things those things can rile up and the temptation is there but i push those aside and say you know what i want to grow to be the best man possible and so when those things come up I, i welcome them all right it is like having it's people in our life who lift us up all right limiting the number of times we fall and increasing our chances for success that's what accountability does When we have accountability, it limits how many times we fall, and it increases our chances of success. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It just gives us a better batting average. It just gives us more strength, another tool, so to speak, another piece of the puzzle. Not everyone has the right to guide you in this way, but each of us should have trusted people that we can go to. Hey, I fell. That doesn't mean just because you failed that you're a failure. Amen. Stop equating what you did with your identity. So have accountability in your life. And they're not there to, to, to browbeat you. They're there to, to lift you back up and put your eyes back on Jesus to keep you going on forward. We often can't accept criticism because we reject anyone's authority but our own. Remember Koresh, nobody could tell him anything and he went off into great error. Be like Brainerd, who let people guide him into God's truth and became an effective tool for the kingdom. There are people who know more than me and I want to glean from them. I don't want to be the fool that's just right in my own eyes. There is a lot of wisdom in this room and I'm just like, teach me, show me. And last week I told you, sometimes it's just by your example. I'm looking at you, I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. Man, that person is full of faith. Man, that person is such a prayer warrior. Man, that person is so dedicated. Man, that person is just so loving and kind. And, and, and it helps us to, to come into a place where we're then living out wise lives. The people from whom I feel the most love are the ones that are gonna help me Stay away from a destructive path. As such, don't get triggered every time someone comes to you with an issue. Don't get triggered every time. All right? If we who carry the grace of God can't work out our differences, how can we expect people to do that who don't carry it? All of these pieces work together to form the church. How we treat each other really is going to show the church how well we shine. There's been revival upon revival upon revival where the Holy Spirit does amazing things. But then the revivals start to fizzle out because the interpersonal relationships get really mucky. And they didn't learn to steward what God was doing and live it out amongst the community. So my prayer as we learn to be the church that when the glory of God comes, that it can stay with us rather than just visit us and leave. I'm tired of an event. I'm tired of God just visiting me. I want the fullness of God in my life every single day. I don't know about you, but I am tired of just, you know, going to a church conference, all right? I want to be the church every day. When we treat each other with this IKEA method, we are s- assembling into a functional, useful, bright church that unleashes the blessings of God to the world. When we do this, we don't have to be afraid of going to Oakland or Deep Ellum. We don't have to be afraid of going to some dark places. No longer do we have to be afraid. Let me just tell you right now, if fear is your thing that's drawing you back, from doing the will of the Lord, I declare in Jesus' name, no more fear. No more fear. And I'm saying that to myself. Just right now, just raise your hand declare that and say, no more fear. No more fear. No more fear. fear." Worship team, you can come forward. We can all just stand to our feet. I believe that the word of God, it does two things. It convicts us and it encourages us all the time. It convicts us and it encourages us. And it's always for the sake of growth. So Father God in this place, I pray, help us grow. Help us grow, God, into your image, Lord. Jesus, you gave us the perfect example of what it meant to include people. You went out to the, to the sinner's to the people that the, all of society rejected, and you weren't afraid. You weren't afraid of, of them corrupting you. You wanted your holiness to influence them. Help us to grow so that we can have that confidence so we're not so worried about being tainted, but Lord, that we can be rest assured that your Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus, you had the best example of being kind, of encouraging of holding the disciples accountable. Lord, show what, us what it's like to be like you and give us the grace to live it out, God. Lord, we are your church. We are your bride. And help us to shine like never before, Lord, in this dark hour. Where the darkness is greater, the light is even greater. Give us your grace. And where we feel weak in certain areas, help us, Lord. Lord. Lord, when we are weak, you are strong. Lord, show us the people to to come alongside of us. Show us the, the tribe, so to speak, that you want us to connect with. Help us to assemble, not just to assemble, but assemble together. Weaving like a tapestry, joining our souls to one another. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. And we declare, do more. Do more. Lord, we're not asking for a new revival. We're asking you to do more than's ever been done before, God. We're not asking for you to start from ground zero, Lord. We're asking you, all the stuff that's happened, Lord, do more. Do more.